0: Guru Nation, welcome to episode 497 of Random Usings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I interview Maya Zlatanova, and she's the CEO of Find Me Cure and Product Mastermind at Trial Hub. So this was a live stream, so I apologize for the audio. It's not ideal, but at least on my end, it's like fairly quiet compared to Maya's end. Uh, but I hope you can get through this because there's so much in here it's so rare that we get a tech person or somebody not at a site level that thinks so practically and so pragmatically about how to approach things And and a lot of good stuff for sites here how to empower sites matter of fact this live stream with maya has inspired um several future podcasts for sure so hopefully you find something of value here check her link out in the show notes to her linkedin page also in the show notes is my patreon channel only five bucks a month we have a monthly mastermind and we're really close to 50 people in the in the patreon so we're about to have two masterminds every month how to improve your opportunities in life sciences using social media, how to network different thing, how to do outside of the box things basically to increase your opportunities, whether you're an entrepreneur or an employee that wants to expand their opportunities. That's a good place to be. Check that out. Patreon.com slash Also in the show notes, we have the CRA and CRC academies, both in the show notes. And if you need more studies for your site, let me know text me 949-415-6256 and with all that being said enjoy this episode Maya This is Latanova from Find Me Cure and Product Mastermind at Trial Hub uh, so Maya thank you so much you were just and guys the live stream ask us anything you see on the bottom this is true you can do this. Ask us anything. We'll feature your question. Maya, uh, Maya, what did Hi, Dan. You... Hi, first of all. Hi. <laughs> hi,
1: everyone. Hi, Dan. Very Thanks for having me here. First
0: of all, to say hi. Uh, well, we've been talking <laughs> behind the scenes, and but we got True. so excited. We have to go live. You, what Say the, what you said in German and then explain in English.
1: Yes, so there is a very uh, like famous wording in German, mach den Meister, which means uh, that, I'll try to explain literally, uh, you become a king when you do the exercise. When you exercise, you become the king, basically. So, yeah, we were discussing with you, Dan, how important it is to prepare yourself. For whatever, like for the the interview, for for meeting with someone, for whatever, so preparation is always it's never underestimated. Um, but I was actually arguing with you on, on a different thing because you were saying uh, basically that um, if you are applying for a job in the clinical research space. And if you're new to the space, you must know all the terms around the centralized clinical trials and patient centricity. And um, I, I agree with you, but then okay. I would say also, it depends of because if, if I'm new to clinical research and actually I'm a very good example because I have no, I, I, when I started in clinical research, that was my like maybe like 15 years ago, I had absolutely no preparation. Uh, Of course, my role was completely different, but for example, if I am doing the interview with someone new from the clinical research space, what I will will be looking to, to see in such a person, especially if they're facing patients, working with patients at the site, patient coordinators, is not whether they know what the centralized clinical trial is or what even clinical trial is, maybe a little bit, but how they actually communicate with people. Do they have, are they empathetic? Uh, Do they care about people? Like, uh, what's their level of communication? These sort of things, like the soft skills. So it depends on what exactly you're going to do at your work.
0: I, I agree 100%. I'm the soft skills king. I tell people all the time, you guys, of course, you need to do soft skills. All that stuff is extremely important. But, but... And this is where I'm not going to try to say what you said in German, but I agree agree with this. He who, she or he who does the exercise is king. Okay. Why? Because I think, uh, I don't think you must know these things. I think you better get to learning about these things. Mm. Uh, you best to get to learning guys. Because this stuff, first of all, information has never been easier to um, attain. Okay, this is It's commoditized now. It used to be you have to pay somebody to go into a webinar, a couple mm. hundred dollars, and then they're going to educate you on patient centricity or decentralized trial. Now, you go on LinkedIn Live, you go on Clubhouse, you go wherever you go on YouTube, it's free. This stuff mm-hmm. is, you know, information flows freely. So why not learn about these things? In addition to so of course, you gotta have soft skills that I mean, absolutely. But to separate yourself when you don't have the experience and you're competing against people that do, if you have better soft skills, you have a better chance. And if you know, if you demonstrate that you are at least aware of the topics in the industry. You're positioning yourself a little bit better. Your odds are still against you because they're most likely going to go with experience. Let's be real, Maya. Most likely they're going to go with experience, but don't you want a fighter's chance? You know, in boxing, they call this the puncher's chance. The guy, the other guy can outbox you, but if you're a puncher, you still have a chance. You catch the other guy sleeping with, like, a uppercut, yeah. you, you've got a puncher's chance. Okay, so this is what – I guess this <laughs> is the analogy. It's not as elegant as your German – but it's, uh, it's still it's. it's, it's still. That's a good
1: way to describe German language, you know. I like you even better, but my friends would disagree. Like okay, but I like. I think it's elegant as well. Well, here's the thing, Dan. Uh, I was reading. So I, I read a couple of books at the same time uh, at the moment, and it's very related to this topic. Mm-hmm. One of the the book is called The Range. Uh, And it's about the fact that we, uh, like our educational system, produces a lot of specialists. Ah. Uh, And uh, actually, the reality is the world needs more generalists. Because generalists actually, yes, they would actually see um, things from different perspectives. So I agree with you that you need to have some preparation and education, but you shouldn't be really like uh, the expert in the centralized clinical trials to go and, 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 and appear on the interview and then shine. Because actually, your experience in other areas might make you even more valuable because Like imagine um, if you are someone coming from the consumer business, for example, and suddenly you want to work with patients or you want to work in clinical trials because you think that clinical trials like support patients like this consumer background might help you so much in bringing new future for clinical trials as well. So, yes, preparation. Yes, but not because some some people understand preparation as being like, you know, perfectionist. I need to know everything and I I have to be super prepared before going and applying for a job. And you don't have to, actually. You need to know, you need to show that you can do your homework and you're learning and you're really interested in the space. But that doesn't, doesn't mean that you have to be an expert.
0: Right. I think that's a good point because, and I don't want, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't want people to misconstrue what I said. So I don't, I don't suggest you pretend to be an expert. When you're obviously not just learn the concepts, learn the topics, at least learn what's popular in the industry and then provide your authentic solution to the problem. Because you're right, Maya, if you go like too much to try to be a know-it-all, they're going to know immediately. This person's just read, you know, she just Hmm. watched uh, like a LinkedIn live of some, some guy on YouTube and uh, that's it. She's just regurgitating what he said. So that's you're exactly right. I think uh we're both saying the same thing from different uh angle. But you're you're absolutely right. I, somebody when you were saying that from other industries, somebody came to mind. One of my Patreon members, Ronick, he he's um helps sites now. He actually looks to acquire sites and and take them over. But he came he's coming to clinical research from the health uh from the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. So hotel hotel owner, hotel management, and he's right. looking at patient centricity, like, you know, one of the things I want to talk with you about, uh, from that perspective, not from the perspective of pharma, right? Because even better, <laughs> what, what have we seen patients for the longest time in research, and it's not a good thing to see them, but we've seen them as subjects. And he's coming from hospitality and no, these are people they have they need to be comfortable they need to have customer service all customer this is of... the king exactly that's, that's exactly, the king. exactly exactly right so what do you think about this this is exactly what you're saying too
1: yes that's exactly what i'm saying and uh you know it's a shame I think, you know, there are a lot of things that happened in the last few years in the clinical research space, which I think are kind of positioning the industry in a much better position than it was before that. And I'll tell you what actually happens. Obviously, COVID is one of the things and like COVID accelerated a lot of the processes that started before that. But actually, before that, what we've seen is that... uh, a lot of uh, people from outside of the industry started joining the industry. A lot of people from the IT industry. Uh, if you see it like clinical research organizations, you see their heads, and, and not just like clinical research organizations, but also pharma. You see a lot of IT people joining this industry because the pharma and clinical research realized have a look at these IT giants, like how they scale, how they, how they grow, like it's it's incredible. Imagine we can bring that to our high margin type of industry and basically do that here as well. And so by these people coming to the industry, they brought different mentality and different culture. And actually that's exactly what we need, a different way of thinking. The moment you, you start thinking about operations, regulations compliance all these stuff they are super important don't get me wrong they are important but they bring you in a funnel where you kind of stop seeing what happens outside of it you know what happens with patients what happens with sites what happens with stuff at the site also. Um, someone told me recently, I think it was, yeah, my friend Edie, actually, you mentioned the webinar that we had with, uh, uh yeah. some folks and Edie, uh, from first, um, first class solutions. She, she told me, and I don't remember the, the numbers, but they were ridiculous. She was quoting, um, numbers actually around how, uh, how much study coordinators quit their job. It was the the rate was um, yeah. times more than people from McDonald's, for example. Can you imagine that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, so I, I I know that this uh, <laughs> and CRA's CRA's even more. Yeah, and so CRAs that's why more I
1: think. More,
0: and they turn well, yes over.
1: <laughs> yes exactly. So, so my I really think if we are to bring more people from outside of the industry not just them, but combine them with real experts from the industry and mix these perspectives, I'm pretty sure that that will contribute to patient-centricity because real patient-centricity is actually consumer-centricity. And we know, like from other industries, that there are so great examples, like the Amazons, Google, and so on and so forth, where you really feel a little bit like locked in their services without even knowing. So how come it's possible there and it's not possible here? Uh
0: yes, they're exactly right. There's a, there's a guy I uh, there's a there's a person I, I follow, Jordan Peterson. He's a psychologist. Of course. Yeah. All right, he talks about the balance of order and chaos. And I think in, you know, in Pharma we've had like for decades too much order and that's mm-hmm. just as bad as too much chaos you know the problems are different they manifest themselves differently but i think and i hope what we're starting to see is a, a little bit of chaos entering our space in a good way i mean what's, mm. the, what's decentralized trial you know it's a little b- trying to introduce a little bit of chaos to the hierarchies that exist right in in the frameworks of traditional pharma and same thing a little bit with virtual trial, patient centricity. I mean, pharma, this is an industry that tries to control everything, micromanage everything, and it stifles innovation. I actually argue that the big CROs are the biggest hindrance towards innovations. They even hinder innovation more than pharma because they've created a business model where they they don't basically have a reward if a trial runs more efficient. Matter of fact, they get paid more if a trial is not efficient because the study takes longer and they could bill more. And so, you know, it's this push between now pharma is actually trying to be more chaotic than these big CROs.
1: Well, I I can't really agree with you here because I work a lot with clinical research organizations. And um, the the thing is that it's not their business model is no longer uh, like really um, I mean they also have to deliver you know it's their credibility yeah. the more the, the better results they have the better credibility the more clients the more clinical trials they're going to have so that's super important for them as well and I don't think that their business model is uh, such that if they fail they get rewarded I mean fail I mean, it mean, like meaning that um, the clinical trial gets um, goes for more time basically like uh, gets the late um there are like ways that uh, you can avoid that with like you know bonuses or percentages that being cut penalties so stuff like that that they also exist and prevent from from this business model it used to be the case uh, maybe with the business model around the booster visits uh yeah. where it was believed that, and, and maybe it wasn't like for a purpose, but I'm just saying that these booster visits, it was believed that if if you have more visits at the site, then that will boost patient recruitment. And maybe in some cases that's exactly happening because it's, let's say the site is really kind of not really engaged with, with right. the clinical trial for some reasons. But in reality, that's not really like... The, in most cases, that's not the reason for patient recruitment being a challenge, and it's something right, right. something different.
0: Right. Right. Um, yeah, I th- I'm more speaking to the effect of sites being able to be, you know, more creative and and kind of do things how they want. Because I work at the site level, and whenever we come up with some kind of strategy, and there's a CRO. And by the way, the incentive, the main incentive for CRO right now is well there's like five major CROs and so mm. if we don't do well they're just the sponsors are going to take the study away from us which is happening right now to a really big CRO that I know it's actually a problem with them they're getting a lot mm. of studies removed because of poor quality CRA turnover Yeah, all this kind of stuff's connected it's not so simple like black and white like this um but the sites usually ask the CRO hey can we do it this way and usually the CRO says no, and then they blame the sponsor. It's very common. Yeah. But it's yeah, not yeah. the sponsor, because when you go ask the sponsor, the bad say, cop. Hey, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Could be good, or bad or cop. Yeah. Could be good, or bad or cop. <laughs> Kevin O'Brien, thank you for the comments. Plus Pharma is trying to digitize. It was a development objective I had as an R&D sourcing manager. Yeah, everything's getting digital. Right. Digital revolution. So what are you doing, Maya, with uh, your companies?
1: So um, we first uh, started to digitalize the way people are searching uh, for clinical trials. And I think I mentioned it's, it's kind of a personal story. I just saw firsthand how difficult it is to find information about clinical trials. And I realized it's not just finding the information, but also How do you use this information for for your benefit, for for the sake of you being a part of a clinical trial? So with my um, uh, co-founders, we decided that there must be a better way. We we need to kind of find a way to simplify this process. And it's all about how do you uh, simplify uh, clinical trials uh, language, let's put it that way, but also... um, um, improve the steps afterwards. How do you um, get education around clinical trials, but then which clinical trial is really good fit for you, uh, which are the sites like hospitals behind this clinical trial? Am I eligible for that? And so on and so forth. And we took a pretty long journey in automating all of these steps. So even up to today, like today, As of today, we we have patients doing that. But then um, a few years ago, we we found out that uh, by doing that, we're kind of like uh, stepping into a new niche for us. It was new, which is patient recruitment. And... um, we, we were kind of like approached by sponsors and CROs to, to see what we are doing in the patient recruitment space. And once we found out about the actual problems in patient recruitment, we just knew that it's not just about where uh, like raising awareness among patients. It's not about just the needs of patients. Needs exist. The, as, long patient, as long as there are patients there are also pains and, and needs of these patients. And clinical trials are yet another alternative, that's, that's it. But then we realized that patient recruitment suffers from other factors that usually come with the clinical trial strategy. So now we try to kind of simplify uh, the way you gather data, the way you analyze this data, the way you plan your clinical trials to make it simpler for teams, because it turned out that it's not so simple as it sounds. It's like, you know, the clinical trial has so many variables. And the, the what actually concerned me back then when we started working on, on, on trial hub, that's, uh, that's the name of the, of the product. Uh, what really concerned me is that the one thing that usually gets neglected is the patient's pathway. And actually, that's one of the number one things of course schedule of the product uh, protocol and, and other things but the patient pathway is the number one thing that's being neglected and also like the, the number one journey, reason
0: right? the
1: patient, patient journey? journey yes the, the pathway the, the standard of care in a given okay. country and that's maybe the one the number one reason why patient recruitment gets well or doesn't go doesn't go well And, yeah, and it's complicated, actually, because, yes,
0: (laughs) it's a multi-billion dollar problem that no one, by the way, nobody in, I've been in this industry since 2005. I'm aware that the industry existed before I became involved. But (sighs) when I started, this has been a problem and there is no better solution i mean now we have technology it's the same problem Mm. right yeah i think you kind of touched on it with the patient journey a little bit i want to ask you a question um as a site owner it's a selfish question but like to to make my site relevant for the future everybody says hey you got to collect data from your patients the future is all in the data like you just said the patient journey the patient um pathway i think is what you said Mm -hmm. what does this mean like if i'm a site and i want to stay relevant going forward what kind of data do i need to collect of my patients because you've seen it from the vendor side so i want to get your opinion on this
1: well you know uh everything that you can get, like can be used after that, obviously, it's what's also possible. But the more information you have about your patients, about the struggles that you have, the lessons learned as well, the better. If we go into concrete things, if you ask me the, so yes, the patient pathway is neglected, but there are other things that, that will completely change. And, and that's yeah, that will completely change the industry. And uh, that's why you don't see such a big impact on whatever we're doing at the moment, because the essence of clinical trials have to change in a way. Uh, but going back to your question about what data you could collect, electronic health records, but real electronic health records. Uh, and when real, I say... I mean? I mean... Um, like i do uh, I, if you make a comparison between electronic medical records so there is a, there is a difference between electronic medical records and a, electronic health records ah,
0: and in my excellent. opinion
1: well in my opinion um and yeah, maybe other people have different perspectives my opinion is that the medical record is just the medical history of the person and the health is like also uh, including symptoms feelings how people like like feel about a drug that they're taking for example you know it's a lot more um let's say um full as a yeah holistic full as a picture for the patient basically because it's you know one thing is what's your diagnose and what treatment you're at another thing is actually what are you concerned about what what makes you look for a different solution for a different treatment and it might be All sorts of things. You know, I'm very huge fan of a methodology called design thinking. Uh, I'm not an expert there, but I've been, like, reading stuff uh, around design thinking. And I remember there was one project around diabetes and patients with diabetes. Uh, And... Like the, I don't remember like the, whether there was a name of the company. But anyway, basically the project was about um, a medical device in diabetes, and they were trying to figure out why people are not like are saying we like this device, but in the end of the day they are not using it properly.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: it turned out it turned out that it's not that they people didn't like the, the medical device or it wasn't comfortable, but something in their daily skate in their daily routine basically prevented them. On, on using this device so regularly as they want basically. So the moment there are some patterns in uh, the patient's behavior, the people's behavior in the end of the day, right. that are super important. And that's a part of the, the, the electronic health record and not a part of the electronic medical record. And when I say again, real, at the moment, the United States is, um, is probably the, the best country for having such consolidated information around electronic health records. But still it's not like, um, it still has a lot of potential there because the current electronic health records are still, uh, like they, they still rely a lot on the, uh, you know, billing systems right? for insurance companies.
0: It's the only reason and they do it is.
1: Exactly. Insurance. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if, and, and, wow. and the moment this actually goes beyond like yeah. this billing type of system information, then we can speak about real electronic health
0: records. I, I understand now. I, I appreciate it, Maya, because that's like, I didn't ever think of that's a difference. I thought of the two as synonymous, but the way you explained it makes a lot of sense. But to the thing you just said, you know, the EMRs, First of all, if you go to like 90% of doctor offices, I'm not talking about research just regular doctor. They're not collecting EHR, they they're not collecting the, the patient reported outcomes. Um they're just collecting like you said the EMR, right? What's their diagnosis? What's the side effect the last time they came? It's for insurance, like you said, it's for billing purposes. So for research to be relevant and really for physicians' offices to be relevant, you're saying, and I agree with you, the more data you can collect holistically for the patient, yeah. the better position you will be long-term. But let's face it, a lot of these companies, most of them, are so short-sighted because they're small. They're, they're small clinics. Mm-hmm. They, they don't look and see, okay, this is a potential – for me to start giving just my patients, like, quality of life survey or, you know, based on, on whatever medications they're taking, I'm sure you they can get some diaries or some questionnaires from the drug companies regarding the medications they have. The drug company would love that data. But just for the site to have, there's no real incentive other than this long-term, how do I stay relevant? Uh, but no, not too many people are thinking like this. I'm just giving you the, hmm. the facts. So I think we yeah. have a huge huge problem in the industry. Um, so I'm asking that question selfishly as somebody who owns sites that is starting to think about this kind of stuff. But thank you for explaining the difference between EHR and EMR. I really think that deserves like its own podcast, maybe even its own book. you going to write this book, Maya?
1: Well, why not? One day. I'm not like the, a huge expert there, but I'm sure that uh, there will be a person who can write about that. Or but like, why not me one day? Let me tell you actually another thing that uh, you sh- you should be thinking as a site as well. Right. Something that also is being very much neglected, and I think it shouldn't. Uh, you know when when the site selection is being done, the number one thing that 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 companies do uh, is to go to the to the investigators and ask for their opinion, mm. which I think is it's definitely relevant. That's important. But what about the study coordinators like their insights are absolutely incredible they are actually the ones to do most of the work with patients because you're right the investigator is a doctor their job is to be as much as possible neutral avoid emotional stuff and think about the medical picture and then the moment the patient reaches to the to the coordinator then it comes the other part of the story at least it should also having support, like emotion, like someone, someone to speak about your emotions and stuff, and they're a huge factor in everything we do, in retention, in recruitment, in like after the clinical trial, everything. So we are not really good at uh, collecting these insights from these study coordinators. And imagine if you're a site, you receive your like a new request for proposal or a site survey, uh, right. the way they, they call it, and yes. Yes, exactly, feasibility questionnaires, and you, you actually collected information on the same indication, another clinical trial, and you have insights, what happened with these patients, why they said no or yes, uh, uh. what happened throughout the study. And what you, and also warning the sponsor or the zero, you know, guys, we've been already seeing this movie. This is how it rolled out. And this is what we can do to actually avoid this challenge and improve the situation this way. I see. And that, I don't expect that will come from the investigator, though some invest, like investigators, we like there are people in the end of the day, they're different as well. Some doctors are like more close to their patients, others are not. But the number one person who is really close to the patients, in the end of the day, knowing sometimes their family, their schedule, and everything, yeah. is a study coordinator. Yeah. So even if we, if you, if we leave aside the, let's say, the traditional electronic health records, because they're also a very complicated game, and you then rely on other stuff to be able to have to have them and to structure them um, in a proper way you can at least start with the insights you're gathering and you don't even realize you're gathering.
0: So, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Um, If you can collect this data, maybe if you're a site and you can collect this data. So if I'm like the site owner or the site director, at the end of every study, I give my coordinators um, a survey and say, hey, you know, What, what were the, what were the challenges in enrolling patients? What was the issues with retention? If I collect enough of this over the years, I can have Mm -hmm. a good data set to show sponsors at my next site selection visit. And they would be, I'm telling you, if you did this, they would be impressed. If you pull out and say, look, this is from the last five years, these are, we've, surveyed all of our coordinators most of them are gone now but this is like our data that's really that's really smart we actually have some cro's do that and uh, one of one of the sites that we know wrote a like a bad survey for the cro and the director (laughs) the director of the cro called and had like an hour conversation with the coordinator and so these are things that should be done right the surveys yeah the problem with this is again back to the short term Uh, benefits versus long-term most companies are just short-sighted right they're trying to just get the next three months of salary for their staff get get profits for the owners they're not looking to do these kind of things and that's exactly the uh, the that's exactly why you want to do this if you're a site so I think you just inspired me a little bit I'm going to definitely reach out to you more. This is why everybody needs to follow Maya. This is, by the way, why we need to follow other people from the industry, from other um, stakeholders in the industry. I'm a site owner. I do a little bit of monitoring, not a lot, Uh, but I want to interact with Maya because she understands what the sponsors are looking for when they hire her. Hey, help us get patients. Maya understands the pain points, right? And so I want to talk to more people like Maya from outside of sites. Because if you talk to sites, you're going to get the same answer all the time, right? But you you talk to Maya, someone like Maya, you say, hey, did you know EHR is different than EMR? No, I didn't know this. What do you mean, Maya? Explain. And so now, now you have more (laughs) insight. This is how we started the show. You need a fighter's chance. You need a puncher's chance. I'm a site. I need a puncher's chance too. What's the difference between my site here in Anaheim, California versus another one in Irvine, California? To the sponsor's eyes, we are there's nothing different. These are two sites in a very crowded market in LA, and we can only choose one. They don't see – and and maybe they know my PI better. Maybe they know the other PI. But if I have – if I'm equipped with this stuff Maya has been telling me, if I explain to the sponsor, did you know we also collect the HR in addition to EMR? Did you know that we survey all of our coordinator and we give you this data if you want? Now I have fighter's chance, puncher's chance. Uh, so this is good. It's all related, guys. From a sponsor's side, we try to keep it as simple as possible, says Miranda Knopp. Uh, knowing how busy study coordinators are, you need to keep the process streamlined. I agree. I think the sponsors have made tremendous improvements over the last decade. Yeah, I agree that
1: like coordinators are busy and doctors are busy and there are solutions out there. I'm I'm not saying that they're advanced enough maybe, but one of the the challenges that we have, not just in clinical research, but overall is how do we collect these notes that, because you said it correctly, like the doctors might type in some information that's for the bidding purposes, but they actually gather more, more insights and they have a lot of notes as well. The problem is that, Um, These notes are in in unstructured text. The same with coordinators. They must keep their notes. Otherwise, you can't deal with many patients, right? Right. So you have these notes, but how can we make these notes accessible and not like making doctors and and nurses and coordinators do extra work? Rather, how can we empower them additionally um, to do their job and meanwhile, like gathering their lessons learned and insights, that's actually the key thing, and it hasn't been really solved. But I agree that coordinators are also busy, so just providing yet another survey. <laughs> I mean, I think it will do the job, and definitely long term, it will pay off for them as well, yeah. because they wouldn't be challenged with yet another protocol that does that just sucks, you know.
0: And if you're uh, the, owner, if you're the yeah. owner or director of your site, I mean quite honestly, like you have tremendous influence over your coordinator. You're supposed to, you're their employer, right? So if you tell them, look, this survey is important. I know you're busy, mm-hmm. but take five minutes and do it. This is why we're doing it. They're going to do it. Uh, even if they're busy, they're going to do it. So I think site responsibility, I think you gave like really good advice actually for the sites here, which I didn't expect we we're going to go that route, but we did. When, this is why we do live. We got <laughs> LinkedIn user anonymous. Who are you? Maya has a nice service to digitize recruitment. I had an opportunity to explore her website some time ago. Great. ah, Very good. And even chat with her. Thanks, Maya. By chance, I came to LinkedIn and nice listening to you both. Thank you very much. Glad you Thank stumbled. You. you could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here right now <laughs> with us. Uh, LinkedIn user, targeted patient recruitment and patient recruitment efforts are crucial to every trial success. This has been my challenge since 1994. Yeah. This is a multi-billion dollar problem. Yeah. And as I
1: said, it won't be solved just by bringing incremental changes. We need something big. And when I say something big, I I, I would say even beyond the centralized clinical trials, or let's say what we understand today, like the centralized clinical trials. We need beyond televisions and home nursing and stuff uh we maybe need to rethink how we started the whole clinical trials industry because it all started with some regulations and stuff mm-hmm. and there is uh, like the good clinical practice uh like guidance mm-hmm. who what kind of role etc maybe even revisiting this and rethinking about like the roles and who is who how is being a part of the clinical trial that's what we need to do right
0: yeah I agree. think I from just- scratch actually I I agree with you but at the end of the day, you know, who is we? And if we is collectively all the stakeholders, regulators, sponsors, CROs, sites, which it seems like it is, um that doesn't happen that fast. <laughs> if at all. It's too many yes. stakeholders. I think they're just everywhere. it's too big, you know. I think we're going to get more fragmented actually. Um which may not be a bad thing, you know, with new rare disease you're going to do clinical trial they're already doing clinical trial designed just for one patient mm. know, so yeah i don't know i think uh, there's something with the long tail too
1: yes i agree with you but i can tell you the moment someone cracks the like the business model mm. uh, and, and makes it more and goes to the pharma with with uh, a solution that or actually pharma comes up with a solution that mm. that makes the clinical trial more efficient and cheaper yeah. And patient recruitment being done in time is also cheaper because everything exactly
0: that's deflation. Yes. Defla- so we have the moment which is deflationary force.
1: Yeah. The moment this happens, you see how quickly this will be implemented. So I, I agree, agree with I you. Agree. Yeah. So when when we speak about money and efficiency then things uh, like uh, go in the right direction. 100% so,
0: agree with you. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know when we get there, if ever, <laughs> in our no, life. No, I, I, I'm
1: absolutely confident that this will happen. Maybe, I don't know, I, I want I don't want to predict, but let's say in the next 10, 10 years, uh, wow. I, I think we'll have a lot different way of doing clinical trials. I already see it happening because it's already in our conversations. Right. Right. So, and I saw that like with the centralized clinical trials, maybe that started some, like five years ago before, like five years right. before COVID right. Right. and then COVID accelerated it. Mm-hmm. And now, now, like now bringing new solutions, tech solutions are actually bringing more burden on the budget instead of the opposite. Right. So now we need to shift the focus and say, okay, we need to have these solutions. So how do we make it also more efficient?
0: Once it hits critical mass, that's when it will, you know, the, the price, mm. you know, the costs go down. The, the, um, because we have deflation and all this technology, that's a deflationary force. I mean, you see it in other industries. Like iPhone, it gets cheaper every time a new one comes out, uh, but it gets better too, right? It, so the price comes down, but the, the capabilities go up. I think with um with our industry, like To be completely honest with you, because when I started, I started 2005, and we started with a paper CRF. Like I was writing, the monitor came to rip the pink one, and FedEx to the sponsor. That's how they did their data management. Um, Then like a year or two later, every single study I did, 2006, 2007, was EDC. So I think Mm -hmm. what we're seeing now with eSource – is gonna be like that. It's gonna lead the way. I would I would predict by the end of this decade, so by 2029, eSource will be like EDC is now, like it's just the norm. But I think it's gonna take like five to ten years for that to happen. So I think like all this radical stuff about decentralized and all the big data, it depends on the digitization of the eSource because we have the mm. already now we got the e source i think that's going to then speed the way so maybe from 2030 to 2040 we could see some of that magic happen but that's just my opinion i could be very wrong who kn- who knows
1: i hope it's earlier but i think you're right i'm just not sure about the timelines but i hope it's earlier <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, there's many sites that hope it's later, but yeah. I don't know why. I don't understand. People are hesitant to change. I remember when EDC came out, I had a CRAs that would come to my site. I was just out of college, so I didn't care if it was paper. I actually saw the benefit. Why am I writing in this paper when I could just put the data in the, in the EDC? Much easier. I had monitors tell me at that time, 2005, I'm actually worried. Technology is going to take my job away. They're not going to need me to come here to monitor anymore. I'm worried. And I had monitor retire. They said, I don't want to do this. I quit after this study. I'm not doing EDC. And they retire. But you know what? Monitor, we need more monitors than ever before right now in 2020. So EDC didn't do anything with that. It's the same thing with eSource. I think sites are a little bit worried. And I think it's going to be okay.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely, I'm absolutely sure about that as well. Because let's not forget that sites have the, like, the number one thing that you can't do a clinical trial without, which is patients. Like, <laughs> and, and and like fully virtual trials, yes, maybe. Uh, I mean, not maybe, they are happening now. And they will be happening even more down the road. But um, we are social creatures like human beings. So we need the personal touch in one way or another. So maybe medicine will change. And I don't speak now about research only, but medicine will change how we diagnose, how we treat patients. But one thing that won't change so easily is our need for like communicating and and being comforted by, by someone. So even if I actually was discussing exactly the same topic this this uh, weekend, and I have a post on it uh, on LinkedIn. So even if someday, someday that will be uh, like many years from now, even if we have AI like that that really does the job of the doctor, I mean, it wouldn't be actually doing the job of the doctor. It will just empower the doctor. And I'll give you examples from other industries, from other other places. It's like. The human being, like the, a, a person walking on his own and then a person with the bike. Like that's, that's an example that Steve Jobs actually gave many years ago. It, it, it will be always more efficient, mm-hmm. the person with the bike, than just the person just walking uh, on his own. Um, then another example uh, that was from, again, this book, The Range, a um, uh, chess play. Um, people playing chess and you know that the computers are like much better than than people. But if we combine people with computers to play together as a team against other people, people with computers as well, then you see that, um, they get even better. Like these people, they, they forget about which were actually the, the next terms and like what, what, what were the variations. They focus only on strategy and the computers, they will tell you actually all all the variations out there. So you focus only on new strategy, and then if you if you try to to meet like computer against person and a computer, the person and a computer is always 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 stronger, because the one thing that the person has is the big picture. Maybe computers will change will like will have that one day. I don't know. I, I like that's a philosophical topic. I don't know, but I don't think so. And not like. In the next hundred years at least so i think sites shouldn't be afraid of technology they should actually accept technology as a way to empower them because in the end of the day the number one thing they need to care about is how do we work with patients how do we comfort patients at our site Uh, and if we are efficient in that case then people will always, sponsors and research organizations, they will always choose the site that works really well with patients because that's what they need. And that's the only thing they cannot do it on their own because of the regulations.
0: I agree. They cannot meet the patients. I think that's a motivation for the sites out there to embrace technology. And virtual trial, in my opinion, virtual trial will never displace the sites. You're always going to need sites Patients trust their site. Like you said, they're not going to trust pharma. They're going to trust their doctor.
1: Or the app or whatever. Like maybe they will use it to have a communication yeah. through the app or for something. I don't something. trust
0: my phone at all. <laughs> I don't trust my laptop. I don't put – I don't cover the camera, but I probably should. You know, I do well, too much live to cover the camera. But, like, I don't trust it
1: yeah
0: so patients no different why are they going to trust a Pfizer or AstraZeneca with the news that came out today no no Ashley Margo Latinos in clinical research you are uh, we can't do this without you Ashley she says yes that's all you need to say Ashley I don't know (laughs) in what context but I agree with you anything you say Let's see. Sites that are successful are able to collect data that supports patient treatment, patient trial data mm. and reimbursement. Great points, Maya. Agree. Yeah. Now, let's see how sites can collect this efficiently. I mean, is it something as simple as SurveyMonkey or um what like sites are not going to build their own tech and there's nothing off the shelf right now other and than ESO And they or should CMS.
1: Oh no no, no. I, I I would agree here I think that there are plenty of solutions out there that are being used by um, uh, by other industries and are not are not being implemented in uh, onto the sites. and i'll give you one example which is a you very concrete so i was I use it, I'll use it. yes yes and and i that's a uh, that's an example that many of the sites use can it. it's very cheap, cheap. Okay. It, i think it's very cheap so okay. but you can all use it and actually sponsor it should encourage
0: sites to to use bring that it on, bring it so
1: on. We were at Clubhouse um, last Friday or the Friday before. I with...
0: never seen you on Clubhouse. We gotta get in a room. Well,
1: to... I recently joined, and I was um, I was actually listening to the uh, to the conversation that Craig Lipset and his company basically yeah. was were having around sites and basically sites and virtual trials and actually yes, uh, it was more about um, uh, solutions that are. Uh, being created at the site versus like third party solutions and how to deal with that, how to balance that. And there was a guy, I really don't remember who was the one who raised this question. He, he actually um, uh, like explained a story uh, some years ago when he was visiting the site. The story, he, he said the story to kind of like motivate sponsors and heroes to be more with the sites and actually understand what they do because sometimes they don't. They don't spend a day to really see what exactly happens. So, so the story was more about the, the um, um, so he was actually looking at, the, at an Excel file with all the passwords uh, an investigator or coordinator has to, to use. And it was a mess, like something like 100 different passwords for all of the, the, yep. the platforms they're supposed to use. And here is this very simple solution, a tech solution. Uh, for example, in our company, we use like LastPass, which is um, a provider for passwords. Right. Right. where you don't have to use your basically Excel file, and there are many other providers like that. Right. You don't need an Excel file to keep your passwords. It's an encrypted service where you actually chooses the password for you and it collects the, the right password according to the platform. So that's one simple and cheap solution right,
0: right. Yeah, we for you to avoid,
1: time. yes, so that's what that's because that that's...
0: Excel file example. That's not even uh, HIPAA compliant, really, or 21 CFR part 11. That's you're literally putting all your passwords in an Excel file on your exactly. computer. So, yeah, LastPass for sure. But what about like if I let's say I want to be a progressive site that collects patient data, uh, or let's say I just want to survey my coordinators? I mean, for that, probably SurveyMonkey. Um, but um, like for the patient data, how do I like where do I even begin to store this stuff?
1: Well, why not using like a normal CRM system? I'm sure that actually, yes, like That's a normal CRM.
0: Salesforce, HubSpot, hub
1: Yes, exactly. Like both of them. Well, they have to be HIPAA compliant, but I think both of them, I, I, I don't know, like it has I to be, are, yeah. I think Salesforce is HIPAA compliant, yeah. but you can use like a, a normal CRM. The process is the same, like doing customer development, like business yeah. development. It's okay. the same thing. You basically, uh, like the moment you meet someone, you add some like notes to this someone, and then this gets basically okay. uh, tracked. And you can use like some keywords if you want. And
0: yeah. Even Dropbox, right. You have a file for each patient and put it in Dropbox.
1: Well, well Dropbox might be. So yes, of course. But then uh, that will be very unstructured and hard to yeah. find afterwards, you know? Yeah. So you should be thinking about, um but yeah, why not? Like even Google drive and because you can easily you like use this
0: to start with, you know, exactly. Sites watching and they're exactly. like, exactly. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah,
1: but, but Google drive actually should do the work because you can okay. even store different files and the search engine is so good that actually it allows you mm-hmm. to look at keywords and like to search for keywords and, and, and find, find good stuff. Point. Point. So there, I think there are solutions. Maybe they're not specialized. They won't tell you it's for sites, Right. <laughs> but come on, go out of your box
0: but doctors are afraid. and start here's thinking the, here's outside. The real, here's the real objection. Doctors are afraid. Well, why would I put my patient data in Google? Is this even safe? And then they don't have time to look up regulations. So they just don't do it. That's what happens. So that's it's why, reality. yeah, it's exactly.
1: Reality. So that's why that shouldn't be done by the doctors. Like mm. enough burden on doctors, in my opinion. I think the situation we're in, not just in clinical research, but overall in healthcare is because two way more, too way much more burden on doctors. We have... Expectations okay. towards doctors that are beyond human, you know. So let's forget about doctors, let's leave them to do their job with the patients, like being on the medical side. And we have coordinators, managers, project managers, whoever with this focus to make they, their life easier. And that should I be across you. the healthcare industry.
0: I got you. Kevin says, I don't understand the term patient data. Isn't that a given that a site will collect patient data? Yes, but we're talking about sites mm. going above and beyond to, pro- yeah. to um, propel themselves forward to be on the right side of technology, collecting additional data for just for themselves that, that they can showcase to sponsors and say, look, we also collect. EHRs instead of EMRs and we also collect coordinator surveys and we have insights there on patient recruitment retention, why patients didn't want to do we have data, we're becoming a data company, we understand we're still a site but we're trying our best to become a data company and remain relevant That's, that's what we're talking about Kevin but good point, good point, I agree and that's exactly why we're talking about this because most sites, I'm telling you Maya, it's not just me, most sites think like this you see this comment, and that's absolutely normal
1: because <laughs> exactly. you have so many things on your shoulders. Basically, yep. uh, it's normal that you, you you think about the delivery of the site, the safety of patients, compliance, all these stuff. So it's normal, but sometimes once in a while you have to take some time, like off, and think about the big picture.
0: I think it's the leadership of the site. The more I think about this, yeah, to do it basically me. Uh, at my site okay. <laughs> <laughs> study coordinators can impact the study's success if they believe it is a good study this is very true very true I've had some questionable studies in the past I was not comfortable referring patients to it yeah uh, even if even if the doctor said here's one that qualifies I would say I don't know yeah uh, many a study lags enrollment as monitors report that they're coordinator, site partner, report, no new patient screened. Yeah. It's really anyone else experienced this. You used to see this more. Now the studies are a little better, I think.
1: Um, It depends, you know, it, it really depends. But then really, that's exactly what I was telling when you asked me about like uh, my company, what we we're doing. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying that you can't fix patient recruitment with just awareness among patients or patients among PIs or whatever. You need to make sure that you ha- you did your homework with your protocol, with your strategy, that it makes sense because some protocols this are just good, done right? in, in such a way that, that, like I wouldn't refer my mom to, to the clinical trial, you know? Like I, I wouldn't do that if, if, it, if, if I have to do it. So why would I refer another person? Like yeah. that makes me feel even bad, you know? So yes, uh, it's happening less. But still, we need to work uh, towards that like, better, let's say, journey for the patients.
0: Maya, I'm loving this conversation. I like I like talking to you, Maya. Uh, let's <laughs> Same have, here, Dan. Uh, okay, as someone, as someone, Kevin, 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 as someone who has been responsible for site feasibility questionnaires, this is a nice tip to seek responses from mm. study coordinators. Exact Kevin, what Maya just told me is like practical i'm not even just kidding because she's on but whether i'm gonna do it is a different story but i like, <clears throat> this is inspirational at least for me for my site to be relevant in 2030 i need to start collecting data now it's exactly right i want to like we started this live stream with the fighter's chance the puncher's chance if i'm a smaller site and a sponsor likes another site that competes with me because they have a key opinion leader who knows if I have something, I have something in my back pocket to show the sponsor. Well, okay. They're great, but look, this is what I've been collecting. This is exactly, I know the numbers I can get for you. like just from here, from my data, you have a puncher's chance. Doesn't mean you're going to get all the study. Life doesn't work this way. Yeah. Right. But you have a puncher's chance. That's all you can ask for.
1: Mm. and if you ask me like yeah data is important but what's more important again i want to emphasize on that is how you treat the patients and no matter whether the, the other side has a keeping leader uh keeping leader or not if patients like you as an invest, as a doctor as a, as a nurse as like whoever they will come to you in the end of the day they right. need solutions and right. we don't speak about solution like uh like please help me do my I, I don't know like uh, laundry. We speak about your health. Come on, so you want to go to the place where you can trust people. Yeah. You want to go to a place that really f- you feel that you 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 are going to be taken care of. So if you're this place with data or without data, if you have the patience, then yeah. you will be always selected, no matter what. Uh,
0: of course, you will become
1: keeping keep a leader.
0: 100 100 agree yeah I, i'm just emphasizing the data because i rarely talk about it but on my channel i talk a lot about the you know all that stuff the soft skill plenty pl- we're covered with that the people that watch they know but the data yeah. i don't touch on it too much because i don't know enough yeah. about it and that's why i have experts like you come on uh and you're an expert maya whether you say so or not you're an expert you should write that book uh <laughs> there's a saying I don't know, it's probably from Europe, from my old Romanian folk tale in the land of the blind, he with one eye is king, okay, so there you go, Maya, you could write the book, you could write the yeah. book uh, why did my name anonymous? I'm not sure on my, my to do lists is, yeah, <laughs> my name is Prabhu, thank you, Prabhu. I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's it, guys, like we had a good live stream it th- we can go on forever with these things. I understand why your webinar with the the group <laughs> went seven yes. hours or twenty four hours. <laughs> um, so we can do this forever, but we'll definitely <clears throat> have you on when we're gonna talk data, and when we're gonna talk patient centricity, because you give you actually gave, unlike what's common in this industry, is a lot of talk from ivory tower, from people who don't understand what it's like to see a patient or what's like i have payroll uh i don't have time to invest in this because i have to pay my staff now i need to find a study these people who design these terms uh from industry they are so disconnected so it's refreshing to have someone come on maya who actually gives uh practical like tangible advice to sites we have, if nothing else, if you're a site, you should survey your coordinators at the end of every study mm. with a few key questions, right? Like, what, what exactly. would the questions be? Like, like give like five data points they should collect from their coordinator.
1: Well, things like, like, you know, you should be looking at how how, how companies are doing their surveys, like looking at the, the opposites. Why did patients stay with the clinical trial? Why they didn't, Right. Um, what's the number one reason patients f- felt like happy about the clinical trial and the opposite mm-hmm. as well. Why weren't they happy about the clinical trial? Um, I would put one, so, uh, like,
0: why did the, why did the patients who didn't do the study say no? I would put that in there. Yes,
1: exactly. And, and also what was like, was there any, um, let's say common, um, common profile of the patient that that said yes, actually. What was their number one reason to to say yes?
0: Um, Yeah,
1: things like that.
0: Tangible stuff, guys. This is not industry nonsense from Ivory Tower. This is tangible from Maya, who's on LinkedIn (laughs) and on Clubhouse. And you guys need to all go connect with her. Her links are underneath to her LinkedIn profile. She's very popular on LinkedIn. uh, And I could see why, Maya. Thank (laughs) you guys. Thank you guys for the call. Thank you, Dan, as you, well. Maya. I Thank you, everyone. It. We'll do more and I catch y'all later. Bye bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.